0: And welcome to Call of Discovery, the podcast where we invite you on a journey into the crucible to rescue Ed Pocock from the evil clutches of that despicable excuse for audio, the wild wormhole. We uh, release weekly or fortnightly to celebrate all things Keyforge, its community, and the excitement of Discovery, and also the excitement of the return of Ed Pocock. He has come back to us at last. Uh, We retrieved the probe and Ed from the other end of the wild wormhole, and we've learned so much. Ed uh, I am so glad uh, that you
1: were that you were rescued. The away team really did their job. What can I say, Zach? What can I say? It was it was before I knew it, there was a bag over my head. I was thrown over the side, and yeah, it it was quite quite the experience. Quite the experience. I only gave it two stars on TripAdvisor, so I wouldn't go there again. <laughs> Oh, my goodness. Un- unfortunately, a side effect of being kidnapped and held hostage by a rival podcast is that you don't get that much gameplay of the new set. But I'm looking forward to today because we've got both yourself and a very special guest on, have- haven't have we, Zach?
0: We do. We do. We are doing something new that we hope to uh, continue where... Uh, we toss it back to someone who has come on the podcast as a guest before, and we bring them on as a kind of a guest host for a topic. So today we are honored to have a Nathan Starwall of Tabletop Royale back on the podcast. Thank you, Nathan, so much for uh, joining us again.
2: Uh, thanks for having me back. It's, uh, it's good to be back. Um, I see that, uh, Ed was not replaced by an evil twin, uh, while coming back through the wild wormhole.
0: Oh, so. was he? <laughs> oh gosh his uh ed's card frame just flashed into a weird alternate color scheme there that was uh, that was strange power 12 my goodness um so, sorry <laughs> yeah, what? So it
1: was... what? what what happened <laughs> I, I i think i missed something
0: yeah you appeared to have a uh, phased in and out a little bit there um swapping places with someone from the other side of the wormhole i think but uh, i'm sure there's going to be no negative consequences for that wild Uh, wormhole is the better
1: podcast
0: (laughs) what that was definitely the evil twin my goodness (laughs) uh but yeah, Nathan was on. Uh, I checked and it was actually more than 50 episodes ago uh, that we wow. had you on in March of 2020. That was actually much longer than I thought it was. It was in the 20-somethings it, that we had you on. Yeah, episode, that was actually number-wise.
2: pre-COVID too, right? Because I remember I remember recording mm. that and then uh, not realizing that I wouldn't be playing in-person keyboards outside of streaming for the next yeah. 15 months.
0: <laughs> Ugh.
1: It's not ideal, is it, when when you look at it that (laughs) way? (laughs)
0: Uh, Well, uh, all all of that, uh, even through all of that, uh, we got a ship out of the Suez Canal and we got Dark Tidings. (laughs) Finally. And it's been long enough. I have a number of games on my belt. Take that number and multiply it uh, by something, and that's the number of games Nathan has under his belt. So he and I both have about five cards each. Um, oh, and if you haven't uh, checked out Tabletop Royale KeyForge stream, please do. Uh, m- Sunday, Mondays, and Wednesdays at 7:30 uh, EST, which is where Nathan has all this experience from. They have all the uh, keys. Yeah. Uh,
2: yeah, we've I've I've had a chance to play with or against about a hundred decks so far. Mm. We're we're currently, as of the recording, we're still in round one of our, our grand tournament yeah um and so uh i've I've had a chance to experience a bunch of the set at this point um and um uh, i I did want to point out like how rare it is to actually play against a specific evil twin of a card Mm, so despite having played um you know in games that are probably uh, like in the hundred uh or so at this point of dark tidings um, the uh, the I ha, I I there were evil twins I have yet to see, um. So I'm kind of looking forward to wow. getting back to in person keyboards just so I can like uh, experience some of those cards at this point.
1: And, and why do you think that is, Nathan? I mean, I guess hmm. my experience of evil twin is it's been sort of one in every five or six decks as an evil twin deck. Uh, but I suppose some of those cards are rare, and when you add add those two things on top of each other, is is that the 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 challenge here? Yeah, I think so. Um, I think there's
2: evil twins at each of the rarity levels. And uh, just because like a creature was new in this set, or even if a creature dealt with the tide, it wasn't necessarily made into an evil twin. So a lot of the evil twin decks that uh, we had um, in our collection only had maybe, you know, two to three evil twins in each side. Um, And we had some houses that had no evil twins cards in the evil twin deck. Which kind of, you know, feels like you got ripped off there a little bit, right? Either
1: way, evil twin, really cool concept. And what, I mean, what if we compare it to anomalies where you could buy a couple of boxes of worlds collide and not even get an anomaly, you know, it's much, it's, it matters a lot. It still feels like it matters a lot more and you actually see some evil twins at least, you, you get some evil twin decks to play with.
2: Yeah, f- famously on our stream, um, I opened zero anomalies out of all the Worlds Collide that I opened, and, and Justin opened up all of them, right? So uh, now I ended up getting to play with the anomalies, um, you know, because the, the way the tournament works, we end up swapping decks back and forth between each other. But it's one of those where I've played a lot of Keyforge, and I didn't open any anomalies in Worlds Collide. None of the sealed uh, Vault Tours that I went to, I, did I open anomalies or anything like that? Uh, I think evil twins are a lot more like uh, mavericks or legacies where they're a little bit more common where um, players on like uh, like an extremely low end budget may still never see one. but um, you know somebody who's gonna put a uh, hundred dollars into the game each set has a pretty good chance of seeing one, which I, I do think it makes it a lot more interesting. Um, in mass mutations, you had like the giant creatures and um, and while they weren't necessarily like chase cards for competitive play, I thought they were really cool. Um, but they were still rare enough that uh, you wouldn't necessarily see them. You, you you would see people all the time with like a wish list of, you know, they wanted a Deosilus or Ultra Gravitron and stuff like that. Um, I think the Evil Twins are like a nice compromise for everybody to have a chance at getting the, uh, you know, the cool thing in the set.
1: Completely yeah. agree. Completely agree. Yeah,
0: I agree. I agree. Yeah, they've been pretty cool so far. I have not opened any, and uh, I think on the math, Ed, uh, you might you might be a little more uh, fortunate. The, the math ends up being roughly like one in eleven or one in twelve. Oh, wow! Um, I've been
2: extraordinarily
1: yeah. fortunate in which case. Yeah, it's, yeah. I,
2: it's it's once again I kind of like want to put on the tinfoil hat as far as like distribution things. Mm. Um, if if we weren't responsible for one of the more infamous distribution, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, uh, you know, errors, um, being publicized, it's one of those where I could I could I would just put this all off on like random chance, but uh, the boxes. The boxes we opened that had Evil Twins would have like three decks in it, um, three Evil Twins. And so I think there's like a clumping thing algorithmically.
0: Which, uh, it honestly, it does make sense that it's possible given um, uh, if the listeners is unaware, Nathan and Justin, his streaming partner, were opening Worlds Collide decks on stream. A couple boxes, literally every deck had discs
2: Yeah, in it. It was, uh, it was 72 uh, decks in a row. I, yeah,
0: <laughs> and the thing about Keyforge, right, the common misconception is that the decks are random, which they are not. They're algorithmic, which does leave room yeah. for that kind of a distribution error to, to occur,
2: right? Right, so, right. Um, so, yeah, the, it's uh, it feels... I, I think the same thing occurs with rares. You'll get, like, groups of rares if you open up boxes from the same case um, as they're, like, shipped from, like, a distributor or something like that. If you open up uh, boxes from the same case you'll see the same rares occur uh, over and over again. Um, and so I think it's like there, there are rares in uh, uh, Evasion Sigil, I think, from Coda was one that popped into my mind, or Hypnotic Command. Those were rares, uh, you know, despite the fact that Justin and I played the game for months. We didn't see those until we went to our first Vault Tour. Wow. Um, which I think I think it is a, an interesting kind of like testament in the, in the world of like uh, CCGs, especially in like uh, the digital era, um uh, and net decking and stuff like that you just like automatically assume you're gonna know and see every card in the game and and while i was aware of like the existence of hypnotic command and evasion signal practically we never played against it
1: there's a real cool side to that as well though isn't there yeah going to a tournament and seeing a blue eyes white dragon kind of thing (laughs) you've never (laughs) come against this before and you're right there with it now uh, but uh yeah it, nathan if if you could just remove that tinfoil hat it does do some weird stuff to the sound quality for the uh <laughs> for the episode <laughs> the microphones just don't like tinfoil moving so right. yeah, yeah i'll, I'll put okay. it off to the side yeah
0: yeah yeah and shout out i uh i mean i would be honored if the algorithm computer guy who's often mentioned listens to the podcast but shout out that if that is an error on the side shout out that that's the only thing that's really gone wrong with this being the first game of its kind so yeah oh yeah 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 (laughs) (laughs) right right and that's it's it's super easy to
2: uh, so the 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 people have like it's real easy for the community at large to latch on to like the negative of that and not see how well the game overall distribution execution wise is um and it's it's one of those where when when you're just describing it um, the ambition of it and stuff like that seems almost impossible to, to pull off. But, you know, here we are five sets later. Um, and sure enough, this this game still gives you so much um, and asks so little in return. Just, to, mm-hmm. you know, occasionally put the tinfoil hat off to the side and just enjoy the game that you've been given.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's oh, yeah. the
0: kind of game that only gets made when someone named Richard Garfield <laughs> walks in with a box labeled Technic uh, <laughs> to FFG and says, can you do this? <laughs>
1: Yeah, And it happened, and it happened, which is awesome. It's true, it's true. So today's episode is entitled, Our Favourite Dark Tidings Cards. So what does that look like in practice? Uh, Well, Nathan and Zach, uh, from what I understand anyway, you've each prepared five cards that are strong, fun, have good synergy in the set, or just pretty awesome. Um, this is by no means an exhaustive list. Uh, all, all runner-up cards should not feel like they've been excluded here. But I mean, what better way of really kind of talking about the feel of a set and the dynamics of a set than looking at the cards? This is something we did last time. Um, we absolutely love the conversation and uh, looking forward to having this here with yourselves today. Particularly for myself, I'm still really discovering the set. I'm at an early stage of of playing it and looking at it. In practice, so I'm looking forward to seeing what you've both come up with. But before we dive into the cards, it would be great to hear your overall thoughts on Dark Tidings. Has it thrown you into the deep end of the crucible, or are you still sitting in the shallows, Zach? Uh I am I am
0: waiting, waiting in I've got my booties on. I am uh waving at Nathan whose head is bobbing up and down beneath and above the waves, uh somewhere past the riptide. Um, but it's—I've uh, had a lot of fun with what I've been playing. Most of my experience uh, has been uh, <laughs> uh, playing some decks to just test and play around with on the Crucible, and with some friends IRL, and then also a few Dark Tidings decks inside of Keyforge Adventures, uh, which is just a great venue for them. And I've had a lot of success introducing new people via uh, via that as well. So I've had a ton of fun with it. I've gotten also gotten to commentate some stuff some some play with dark tidings and uh, just seeing the new things that decks do has been an awful lot of fun especially in like an archon solo environment Uh, seeing combos or just kind of card cycles or strategies that um, are just coming out of this particular card pool and look really different than what we've seen before so uh, that that's about all uh, all my experience has spoken to the set before Uh, but i think as Nathan has mentioned on stream like it's an awfully thinky set and so unless I'm playing Keyforge Adventures a Dark Tidings deck is probably not going to be the first thing I hand to someone I'm trying to sell on the game uh unless there's also a giant key raken on the table who needs to go die so that's uh that's my thoughts on Dark Tidings so far
1: awesome awesome we do like to talk about the oft mentioned team covenant ram in in a set of you know how many things do you have to think about at the same time and and Dark Tidings is is definitely rather high on that mark for yeah, which is an awesome thing. But it's definitely a future we need to be aware of when when speaking with new players. And Nathan, you of course are probably among those to have played the most games of Dark Tidings of anyone other than the developers of KeyForge themselves. Uh, so how how have you been finding the set? Uh, so this set has. A really Jekyll Hyde aspect
2: to it in my like opinion (laughs) it's almost like like it has
1: evil twins
2: (laughs) yeah it's 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 amazing how like the evil twin concept was like almost better executed with like the construction of decks in the set than it was by like the evil twin decks themselves um if if I can uh try to like elaborate on that point a little bit the the good decks in this set are super fun and the bad decks in this set are so miserable to play um and if you were exposed to this set with like some of the worst decks in the set then i could see how you would swear off dark tidings forever um you have like a slow creature based plan and you're trying to put some creatures that really need to survive until th- your next turn to, to, re- to have any kind of like impact. And your opponent is playing unfathomable and they just keep putting those creatures back on top of your deck. And so you you see like the same nine cards over like a three turn period. And it, you're like, I am not having fun. Like I have yet to do anything meaningful in the game. Um, and I feel like I keep getting reset Um, whereas if you play like a logo star Alliance deck that has like some phase shifts and some togethers and you're playing five, six cards a turn and you do that like three turns in a row. Um, and you're getting to use your star Alliance to use your creatures from other houses outside of their turns. Um, and, and so you just, you have a deck that feels like it can do everything. You're having like extreme amount of fun. Um, and, um, if, and if you're two different people, the one person who's been playing like the really fun decks is like, what are you talking about? This set is great. And the person who's playing like the, the slow, miserable decks is like, this set is awful. What, what mm. do you see in it? Mm. Um, yeah, it wasn't really until we like sat down and played a bunch of it. And, um, you, and you'll have like streaks. If you play like a large number of decks, you'll have like a streak of like six decks in a row that all felt miserable to play. And you get to the end of it and you're like, man, I don't know about this set, um, and then you'll hit like a streak of like six fun decks. And you're like, wow, this set is amazing. You know, this set is the future Keyforge, um, And mm. uh, it's it's so, like I said, just back to that Jekyll Hyde thing. It, 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 you, you, it feels like you have two different experiences in the same set. Um, and I was like trying my best to figure out why the public really enjoyed Mass Mutations so much um it wasn't one that i got to like talk to people in person about right um because of obviously covid but um so it was one you know i read comments on reddit you know read stuff on twitter um but mass mutations is a set that was like really well received by the public after a couple of months right there was that initial period where people were like i don't know about this set um but the the you you ended up with like the enhancements in mass mutations made you feel like you had a really personal deck and there's mass mutation. i mean, sorry. There's a, uh, enhancements in dark tidings. Um, but they're not nearly the same quantity. Mm-hmm. And sure. so your deck doesn't feel nearly as personalized. Um, and the, uh, you know, the aforementioned giant creatures in, in mass mutations were really fun. Once you got them on the table, you didn't get them on the table every game, but you had like objectives you could set, That weren't winning based, um, that people who play card games often have those objectives where there's like a specific goal they want to do. They don't winning is like a secondary goal, maybe even tertiary for some players, but like getting. Getting um Khalifi a Dragon. Kong. Woo! Yeah, getting a khalifi <laughs> dragon on the table.
0: Exactly.
1: Um you know, but I, like I remember
0: you, distinctly the first time I did that. It is burned into my memory. You lose yeah, well, but it, you it, still but you, feel
1: awesome. <laughs> it, you compared Khalifi
2: Dragon to, to Weki Kraken or whatever. Um oh, gosh. Yeah. And it is it's like night and day. You're like, I don't even know how I get this creature onto the table. Like how? how? Um it, it the Khalifi Dragon's ambitious to put onto the table, and it feels like the the result that you get for getting it onto the table is pretty good. Um, but you know, the Tawiki Kraken, you're just like, how? How does this get how does this get played? You know, and so I think you end up with sure. like this this bizarre bad deck that doesn't have any goals to to accomplish, and so you're just miserable while yeah. you're playing it. Whereas the good deck just gets to have everything, and it's super fun, um, and so if you end up on the wrong side of the good bad deck paradigm, you, there's no secondary goals for you to hit, um, and yeah, that 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 just you know drags down the whole feeling
1: um, of uh, of playing the game. So, so to put this in context, would it be fair to say if Zach were to buy a random box of twelve decks that Maybe Zach would find a few absolutely awesome, really fun decks, and a few absolute dud decks that maybe he didn't want to spend so much time with. Um, which, of course, means that if you put it in a sealed environment, then you you might end up with a couple of of your three decks that are are, are not fun to play, and you should probably avoid picking.
2: Yeah, well, uh, I think the tide mechanic complicates things too. in This yeah. set, right? Um, because the bad decks will often not even have good ways to interact with the tide. Unfortunately, you sure. can take chains to to interact with it. But um, if your deck is bad and you're taking chains, not only are you playing cards that are worse than your opponent, you're playing less total cards. <laughs> you know, and and so yeah, it, it's it's like it took it took me several games to realize that using the tide like the the uh, the tide almost feels like in a, a in a not a new player trap but a medium player trap if you've got some experience in the game um you might overvalue the tide and um and taking chains unnecessarily to like stop minimal bonuses that your opponent is getting is actually very bad for you and and sure decks that don't have the efficiency to fight through it um so primarily sanctum sarian um even unfathomable to a degree decks that don't really have solid efficiency you just get behind the the in the game and you can't catch up um and it's because of a decision you made like three turns ago to take the tide when you really didn't need it
1: Mm. Yeah. And it's hard
2: to tell that until you've, like, played enough games. Um, and so, and it, like, if we didn't force ourselves to play as many games as we did, um, I'm not sure that I would have even gotten to that point um, when it came to, like, the, the relative power level of the Tide in any given game.
1: That's fascinating. I Yeah, I can I can relate to this in that I'm not there yet with my ability to Value the tide, and I imagine that a lot of keyforge players, uh, probably not you two, but uh, a lot of keyforge players are, are still in that position. I undervalued the tide to begin with, and in recent games, I feel like I've overvalued it. Um, but I haven't really got that deck dependent nuance yet of it in my head, either way shall we kick off with our yeah. first cards so let's Zach, do it would you like to uh to share with the audience what is your first card
0: yes uh, my first card and as ed and mentioned earlier these are cards that are either like good or interesting or fun or just pure forge in some you know uh in some uh you know uh ethereal way but my first card is medicus lacus and uh, people may remember yao sunmouth juggler the deck uh, i played that uh, ed opened before we had the cards here mm-hmm. in the u.s and it had two medicus lacus and a uh, imperial forge in it
1: and what does medicus lacus do zach I
0: mean, medicus lacus is the saurian creature five power who's the dinosaur philosopher and they say, while the tide is high, you may spend amber on friendly creatures as if it were in your pool. Uh, it's the effect we've seen before in Sarian, right, on Senator Bracus, the rare. But this is a common, and it's Senator Brockus's exact ability, except with uh, tied to the tide. Uh, when the tide is high, you can, you can do that. So this card is a ton of fun because it interacts with the tide and... It just For some reason, Imperial Forge is just working more in this set because you've got things like Spoils of Battle as well. And this card creates a lot of interesting decisions. You can put pressure on your opponent when you have the high tide and you could forge using the Amber on your creatures. And um, it's really just the backbone of a Saurian setup making a big threat and asking the opponent a, a hard question, trying to get them on the back foot with with the tide um yeah and there there may be some bias because it's the first time i pulled off imperial forge ever <laughs>
1: well maybe this is that time where the opponent really is forced to raise the tide on this yeah exactly so uh that... I, yeah sorry uh to cut to in there but yeah okay. yeah the, this is uh,
2: this is a great segue card from my point about the tide earlier right this is one of the very few cards in the set that is like a must take the tide against um because of its power level um there's mecha Buoy and maybe one other card if i sat down and really thought about it um mm. where you the the taking the chains prevents you from like having a cascade failure because a lot of times the starians are going to have amber that's on them that they took from you because their cards like reach advantage and um you know the aforementioned spoils where your opponent can capture a large amount of amber from you, and if they have the key sheet, which is awesome, um, so that they can forge immediately, um, you know, there's nothing you can really do about that. But a lot of decks don't have those, and so you're forced to basically keep taking the tide from the Sarian player, so that they don't just blow you out by forging keys with your amber.
1: Zach, out of interest, are there cards in Sarian that can actually raise the tide without having to lift a finger? Uh, so you can really make use of this without chaining yourself or do you have to really quite often chain yourself or rely on cards in different houses to get the real effect of this card
0: uh there are a few ways to to raise the tide when medicus lacus and and its kindred dinos have captured a bunch of amber um there's the aforementioned reese advantage i'm sure there's maybe one or two more I, there's not it, a there's if not there a lot there is
2: i think they're at like uncommon or rare because i yeah, honestly think they're I not I believe that reach advantage is the only thing at common that uh yeah. has.
0: but like nathan was talking about with like how valuable that is um if you're a certain amber amount on those dinos, just given the situation it's often worth the three chains if you're like i could forge an entire key off of all the amber i just captured over the last two turns and like that is worth three chains to say hey you either take this back from me or I'm going to spend your amber to forge my key and continue on my merry way. So,
1: okay, interesting. Yeah, yeah. Medicus
2: Lacus is an incredible card. Yeah, um, it's... I, it, it's there. There are a handful of Saurian cards that I think are gluing Saurians together in this set. Um, mm-hmm. yeah. A lot of the early yep. feedback people say that they don't really enjoy playing Saurians in this set. And I get it because if you're missing a couple of key comments, Medicus Lacus is definitely one of those. Another one of those is uh, the Rostrum. Um, this artifact, yes. it's the, I forget the full name of it, but Altruist um, Rostrum. Yeah, Altruist Rostrum. That's a, that's, a, that's a very key component. And it is essentially a worse library um, f- of Polysaurus from Worlds Collide. Um, it's, a, it's essentially a worse version of that card um, in a vacuum, but it is so important for helping you dump the amber that you're exalting or capturing. Mm-hmm. Uh, that it just feels often essential to uh, to like a successful Sarian deck
0: yeah and altruist rostrum it's a artifact that reads action to move one amber from a creature to another creature so
1: real straightforward yeah very simple very easy to understand but lots of depth and how you can use it in whatever context you're given i guess on the exactly on the field so nathan what is your first card
2: all right, so um, I went with one, and this is this is actually probably a lot of people's uh, uh, card that they really enjoy from the set, and it's Archon's Callback. Um, and Archon's Callback is a Logos card. It says Omega, so you have to end your turn after you play it, and you draw five cards. And uh, the reason this card is a lot of fun... This, so this is a this is a card that looks like it is broken, but is incredibly balanced, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Um the uh it's also a counterpart to a card that was reprinted in this set uh eureka and so you can end up with like this interesting decks where you've got like some where you'll have a eureka and a, a narcon's callback and you'll and you don't want them in your hand at the same time because like the eureka could like archive this and, um you know but uh it's it it um it, the ability to draw five cards if you were the first player is you end up with just an absolutely stacked hand um and you know your second turn is going to be awesome um so yeah the archon's callback is just like a really fun card to play it's super straightforward um it, and it's a little bit more straightforward than uh, for a card than i would have like picked to have been on this list Um, but, uh, there are times where it isn't actually that good, or you're not getting as many cards as you would have gotten. Um, you know, like if you've got a five card logos card hand, this card basically doesn't do anything. Um, so I think, I think that's part of the interesting part about this card is like knowing the timing windows where this card is better to play than others. And it's going to depend on the deck that you have.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I've played a a couple games with a few decks with this for some online sealed play and had a lot of fun with it, especially when I was trying to make the decision of, well, I could play all my Logos cards and then this where it basically does nothing draws me maybe one card or I take a Logos turn. I only play this because I'm trying to get my Data Forge and literally my entire turn is I play Archon's Callback just so I am at net plus four, you know? So yeah. it creates that decision, too.
2: But, and I think it's interesting, um, uh, decks, since it's an uncommon, these aren't very... You, you're not going to find these everywhere, but I think decks that have multiple copies of this card are also very interesting.
1: Mm-hmm. If you can
2: end up in a situation where you, ha- where you take a few turns in a row, where you are above like a seven-card hand size... Um, and you know, and it, that's it, it, good for setting up
1: like a data forge or a mega banger turn of one of your other houses. On the flip side, yeah. though, I suppose you don't want to be stuck with multiple copies of this in your hand at any one time because it really becomes a, a dud card. But can we also shout out the art on this by Hans Krill? It's absolutely gorgeous, and uh, quite often Logos has got a uh, how to put it sober color palette. So it's nice to see the the color palette still being used, but also given given a bit of uh given a bit of time in the sun.
2: Yeah, yeah,
1: uh, it's appropriate for the, for the anime beach episode set, right? So <laughs> you, need some, you need some bright
2: bright pastel, pastel colors wow. here and there. Tyler,
1: so. where's that flavor text on this? <laughs> <laughs> so Zach, what's your next card? My next card is diplomat. Agung
0: from uh, the Grand Star Alliance. Diplomat Agung is a two-power creature, alien in Krixix. They have the classic Star Alliance play-fight reap uh, on here for their ability. Uh, And the ability is really, it's just so Keyforge. It's uh, why I picked it. For the remainder of the turn, a friendly creature belongs to the house of your choice in addition to its other houses. This card could have easily been something akin to uh, the various star Alliance or logos things that let you use a creature as if it belongs to the active house. But this goes a step further in like how it's just a little bit more nuanced because you get to pick what house in case you've got an effect that is counting houses in play uh, or using um, like uh, there's a, a bunch of different reasons why in an edge case, you might want it to be, a house different than star Alliance 95% of the time, you're going to pick star Alliance just to use it during that turn. But it's that 5% of the time when the way that ability is worded really matters, where you're going to have an aha moment. You go, wait, if I use Agung here to make this, you know, Mars, for some reason, uh, that's actually going to get me what I need. Um, and, uh, it's a very good card with some edge cases where it could really just set you up over the top. Um, and uh, I've had a lot of fun, a lot of fun with it for that reason.
2: Yeah, the uh, the the edge case being the Star Alliance board wipe, the Grand Alliance council, where you oh, choose yeah, that a one, creature definitely. of each house to destroy, so you can make one of your creatures the house of one of your opponent's creatures, so that that one is chosen, and then you get to wipe every creature the opponent has of that house. Uh, Diplomat, a gung. Honestly, if I were to make like a list of like the top ten most powerful cards. Or, or especially at the common level diplomat a Gung is way up that list this card sure. is just insane you play like it it it's a it's reads sort of clunky but when you once you actually get some games on your belt of dark tidings and you're playing with this card this you you're just constantly looking for this card it's just so good it, it gives you so much versatility um yeah it's a it's a it's a really powerful card
1: yeah i love it i haven't played with it before but it's really interesting to see at first glance we often talk about that binary of you have situational cards and you have cards that are always useful this one looks like it almost sits in the middle ground because it's situational it's dependent upon needing a another card that actually benefits by being a certain house at a certain point in time but at the same time, it's left so open, as you said, Zach, it's more open than any such card that we've seen before in Keyforge that maybe it's not so situational when you've got so many cards that can benefit from it. Yeah, it's uh Diplomatic Gung
2: is it's, it's so um I, I made this observation on stream, and if you're playing Dark Tidings versus Dark Tidings, the um the removal in this set. There's some of the best removal that's ever been printed in this set. But some of the most circumstantial removal that's ever been printed is also in this set. And um, so it feels like you have three free wards a game. And you don't get to decide when those wards are played. But you're going to have creatures that will live, that should have died in your mind. You've played a bunch of Keyforge, right? You're thinking... This creature should be dead by now. Why is it still alive? And it's because mm. there was an invisible ward that was just put on that creature randomly throughout the game, and your opponent couldn't kill it. And so, Diplomatic Gung is one of those cards that gets to live far more often than you think it should, and it lets you use those other creatures that you thought should have died by that point. Um, and uh, it, and and once you once you've played enough DT games, you'll really understand what I'm talking about, Ed where it's just like, why can't I kill this two-power elusive creature? It's just impossible. Trellonia has been on the table for three turns. I never had this problem of killing Hunting Witch in the past, you know. Um, But uh, Dark Tidings, just trying to find removal for problematic cards like a Gung is not easy.
1: Yeah, Yeah, that's true. That's very true. I can see that. So Nathan, moving on from a Gung, what is your next card? So this is actually pretty related
2: to a Gung, and uh, it's a T3R35A. Um, I just call it Teresa because I believe all of the Star Alliance robots are uh, leet-speak uh, names one way or another. But uh, <laughs> So Teresa is Mac the Knife if it were also a mantle of the Zealot. Um, and this is actually relates to Diplomatic Gung, right? Teresa yeah, says yeah. Um, it's a three power robot that says Teresa may be used as if it belonged to either of its neighbor's houses, and Teresa may be played as an upgrade instead of a creature with the text. The creature may be used as if it belonged to either of its neighbor's houses. Um, and this card is very similar to Diplomatic Gung. Um, and uh, I think they both contribute to why Star Alliance feels, in my opinion, Star Alliance feels like the best house to play in this set. It's, um, it's certainly the most fun. There's a lot of like obvious power and logos and and, uh, and unfathomable, but uh, Star Alliance, you just get to use all of your cards all of the time. Um, and Teresa is one of those that contributes to it. Um, and since it could be played as an upgrade, it works with like light of the archons. it works with Unity or Discord. Um, I almost included Unity or Discord on this list instead of Teresa because that card's insane, but I feel like the power level of Unity or discord is like very obvious whereas Teresa is a little bit of a sleeper. Um, and, uh, Teresa also, uh, encourages one of my favorite aspects of the game, which is like battle line placement. Um, and there's a lot of really cool battle line placement cards in this set that, um, mess with, um, the, the desire to just kind of play your creatures wherever they go. Right. You have to have a little bit more forethought when you've got a Teresa in your deck, because you're trying to put your creatures in such a way that you can always play the Teresa as an upgrade and get maximum use out of it. Um, and so sometimes that's just playing Teresa by itself, but sometimes that's putting Teresa on um, you know, one of your powerful cards like a P.I. Sweven or somebody else that you really want to use um, during multiple turns, um, and Teresa really enables that.
1: Awesome, awesome. More Star Alliance doing fun stuff and having something that really enables you to use those cards that you've played out is fun isn't it that that's what yeah that's what we want from keyforge and uh star alliance certainly looking to do that here i'm looking forward to getting some game time in with these cards i'm looking forward to it so zach what is your next card my
0: next one is brain drain it honestly probably would side note would be omnipus if i had opened one and been able to play (laughs) with it by now because that's just such a cool card Uh, But I went with Brain Drain. Unfathomable action gives you a pip. It says play, look at your opponent's hand, choose a card from it, and put it on top of their deck. Uh, Even though uh, I am often not thinking well enough to fully use the information to the best of my abilities, I do love effects that let me see my opponent's hand. At the very least, you can say, okay, do they have a big play they're making next turn? Do they have their, you know, Amber Burst punishment? Do they have a board wipe? Uh, Just kind of big plays like that that I could play around. Um, And then the choosing a card from it and putting it on top of the deck is that just unfathomable style of control that they do a lot with, which is just a lot of fun. So I love the information. I love trying to use the information and then slowing them down by a single card or whatever that key card is, uh, is just a lot of fun to try to just do this as as smartly as possible, right? It's kind of a... um, I don't know if it's a more fair version of Control of the Week, but it occupies a similar space where you can try to, you know, get that third key in by playing around what they have in hand and tactfully removing uh, perhaps the biggest threat to your to your Keyforge livelihood.
2: <laughs> yeah, I was actually going to compare this card to Control of the Week because you get so much information from it. And the amount of information yeah. you get from Braintrain is frankly absurd. Um, and oftentimes you can pick the card that just forces the opponent to go into another house. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So um, they could still take a turn if they wanted to, if they really wanted to. But um, a lot of times when you play, I think this is a card that gets better the longer into the game you are. Um, early in the game, I, um, I I've played some brain drains where I was like, this card isn't doing anything. You know, it's it's barely slowing slowing the opponent down. Um, but uh, it's really good when you can go to threaten you can brain drain to know if you can force the key through or not right yeah um and and that's the same situation with control the week was in the past where um being able to like force the opponent into a house that couldn't stop your key um was was super valuable and uh yeah brain drain is uh it's a it's a crazy card
1: this looks to be a card that really rewards you for knowing the set knowing your deck and what it wants to do and knowing how your opponent's deck whatever it may be in it what pieces from that are a threat to you and why it
2: so and um it actually combos with a lot of the other uh, unfathomable stuff um like maelstrom or bubbles so you can hit them with the brain drain and then put more stuff on top of that oh, card.
0: Sure. <laughs> so you can
2: end up in situations where the card that you hit with the brain drain Bury is going to be two turns before they get to see it.
0: Yeah. Wow. <laughs> and that and that's why this can be such a negative play experience yes, for an unprepared exactly. new player. <laughs> yeah,
2: right. And it's one of the... Because <laughs> that, that stuff happens to you and you're like, am I playing this light, fun, you know unserious card game i I feel like i'm getting brutalized over here you know yeah um and yeah and if you're if you're like an experienced player and you're playing against unfathomable you you know that you need to if they if a if like a a specific creature isn't contributing to your um end game goal you're oftentimes better discarding it if your opponent has a couple of maelstroms because you're just going to end up in situations where you're drawing the same cards over and over again
1: there is sometimes that juxtaposition, isn't there, with KeyForge, where the theme is so light and so whimsical and yet the gameplay is so deep and uh, rich and rewarding but also challenging at the same time. Yes. Yeah, at a competitive level, um, I do think I like what
2: um, Unfathomable brings to the table. I yes. think if you were to sit down and design like the perfect the perfect 36 cards for dark tidings i think you ultimately end up with unfathomable in that list and it's probably logos and it's probably star alliance um and it's probably going to include some number of brain drains um and uh but the way unfathomable controls versus bad decks is super punishing um yeah and so
0: a shout out to the art on Brain Drain, which I think is encapsulating this entire conversation perfectly, <laughs> where it's the Aquan zapping the brain of a Star Alliance New person player. with bright purple light. Yeah, <laughs> <Yes. it's>, uh... <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah. And Nathan, what is your take on House Unfathomable? You said earlier that they were, you alluded to earlier that they were competitively pretty well to do. And that's maybe opposed to some of the stuff I've seen floating around the interwebs What are your thoughts? So I think if you've got an
2: Unfathomable deck that is more heavy on actions than creatures, it's going to feel a lot more competitive. And um, if you're playing against a deck that is focused on creatures, um, then Unfathomable absolutely punishes those. Unfathomable is probably a good choice for like a, like a, a triad. Um, sort of uh, set up as well. I think you you kind of want a triad deck waiting in your wings. If your opponent has like a Grump Bucky deck, for instance, and in triad, you really want your Unfathomable deck to line up against like a Grump Bucky deck, a deck where your opponent wants to put some creatures on the table and use them. An Unfathomable can just absolutely, um, you know, make your opponent regret having creatures on the table. Um, there are a lot of really, um, I would say, it feels like, Sealed stars in uh, Unfathomable, um, where cards like Harid signon it's got poison, so it'll trade with something, right? But ultimately is not doing much to advance your goal. Cards like Fodic Raider, which are pretty good for stalling, but if you don't have a way to like tax your opponent, then capturing that amber ultimately ends up feeling inconsequential in the long run. Um, but then you go have like cards like blue um, Camp feels like especially when you're playing dt sealed blue feels like an all-star because he is like taking three creatures out of the equation a turn whenever you use them three or more creatures right because his ability works on fighting so he can like fight a small creature and then you know tap some other creatures down and um so um when you've got cards like brain drain and illusions of grandeur um both of those i think are going to see competitive play some way or another just simply put um a lot of the flashier stuff like omnipus maybe it doesn't see competitive play it's a really fun card Um, (laughs) it's a really fun card but i'm not like a hundred percent sold on like like archon competitiveness right um but uh you know it it's um uh i i really think the unfathomable actions are the all-stars and the uh and and unfathomable
1: awesome awesome yeah and i guess that makes sense from a dis perspective because it is a house that wants to disrupt and it wants to play things and actions are those kind of things that can have an immediate impact so we are on to the next card uh nathan i believe it is your round what is what is your next card all right, so I have picked
2: the hipster pick here. This is Trojan Sauropod, um, a card that the vast majority of the community hates, um, and with good reason. It's not a good card. Um, but uh, <laughs> we, we mentioned Keyforge Adventures earlier, um, but I wanted to mention this card specifically for the context of Keyforge Adventures, um, because you give this card to the key rack and when you play it, and the Kirakin will use it on one of your friends to, and, and will let them dump a bunch of creatures into play. And um, creatures are actually pretty good against the key and, Um The Kirakin typically won't be wiping the board; it's going to have to have to like fight creatures off the table and whatnot. But um, um, the Trojan Saria and the three amber that you give to the Kirakin is almost nothing. If you got a table full of four people, three three amber is like less amber. Um, it, three amber is just like a drop in the bucket of what the key yeah. dragon needs to advance, right? So, um, I wanted to include Trojan sariapod in this list because, because of Keyforge Adventures, um, you can you you get to think about the cards in more than just a heads up manner, and so I think a card like Trojan Saryopod is a really great example of. If I'm playing head to head, and uh and I've played a lot of Trojan seriopods on stream and they almost always backfire. Um <laughs> if I'm playing head to head, this card is not good. But when I'm playing it in a cooperative setting, this card can do some pretty interesting things.
1: Nathan, this is making me feel really sorry for that poor Kiraken. Poor Kiraken, <laughs> so lonely. All it's got is it's everyone's afraid of it because it's so big and scary. And yet, this dinosaur comes swimming along, and it thinks, "Hey, I've got a, I friend. Got a friend. I've actually yeah. got a real friend." And then, and boom! Out. It gets and then tat. you got
2: something, <laughs> and then like, lollop the Titanic
0: comes crashing out of this starfish. <laughs> I feel I feel the need to distance myself from the key rake and apologist. I apparently <laughs> co-host a podcast <laughs> with. <laughs> uh but yes uh I, I i am trying out some uh janky plays against the key and with some friends like bringing all gigantic creatures right turn up the difficulty oh yeah you know things like proclamation 346e now i want to try uh like double archon's callback where just the person to my right plays that then i give a trojan sorry pot and they put all of their creatures <laughs> out at once
1: yeah that'd, oh, be, that'd be pretty great yeah indeed oh indeed. yeah so zach What is your next card?
0: My next one uh, is uh, really in spirit. It's all of the artifacts. There's four of them. All of the artifacts with the treasure trait. Uh, And I'm going to pick Primal Relic out of Untamed to talk about because I've had play experience with it. It's uh, an artifact with an amber pip. And it says, play, put four amber on Primal Relic from the common supply. And all uh, all of these treasure relics do that. And then it says, on play, it's give three creatures a plus one power counter. Then the passive text is, at the start of each player's turn, if they control creatures with a total power of 20 or higher, move each Amber from Primal Relic into that player's pool. So uh, the other ones, the Saurian one, uh, rewards Amber on creatures. Uh, the Shadows one rewards blowing up creatures. And the Logos one uh, rewards playing cards. And I love these because they're essentially a side quest that you get Amber for that uh is great if it lines up with your main game plan but it gives both player a choice uh both players a choice to say hey do i go for this thing you know maybe it's a part of my game plan maybe it's not to try to get the four amber um and it's just it's a really fun it's a really fun just kind of design uh kind of a honeypot around an artifact do the thing get the amber um and just uh, creates an extra decision worth for Amber for uh, for the players. So awesome. uh, They're they're a lot of fun, and I've had a I've had some some fun with
1: them. Nathan, this ties in really well with what you were saying earlier about having those fun side quests to do yes. whilst you're playing a game to keep you interested, to keep you busy, to keep you doing cool stuff with your own deck whilst you try and grapple with what your opponent's doing. Yeah. So I feel like these cards hit.
2: Um, I feel like the ships in the set, for the most part, miss. Mm, yeah. Um, right. I, I tried really hard to 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 find one of the ships that I enjoyed playing to put on my list. Um, the now of the treasures, the one that I had the most experience with is Ruins of Arcanus, um, and uh, that one is really funny. Um, I, there was a uh, a game we played the other night where I kept my starting hand because it was six cards because I knew the other deck had Ruins of Arcanus was, and I was just like just. Play it first turn. Just play the Ruins of Arcanist first turn. (laughs) So I can just play all six of these cards and then get the Amber off of it, you know. Um, And so Ruins of Arcanist really, like, changes the flow of the game in a lot of ways if both players are trying to, like, play for it. Or you can just ignore it and try to just win the game naturally um especially if you're not a logos or star alliance deck and it's like harder for you to actually play all those cards um ruins of i think is one of the riskier ones um and i could see primal relic actually being worse primal relic is safer well i was gonna say in dark tidings primal relic is probably safer but against older sets i'm willing to bet that primal relic is like a like a hazard right like you play primal relic versus deck that's like trying to use might make right or has like a on in it, you know, and it's like they have like one or two sure. cards that just get the most of the way there. Um, yeah, I could I could see it backfiring spectacularly, but uh, a card backfiring spectacularly is a very Keyforged thing.
0: So.
1: <laughs> oh, yeah, definitely. This is true. And, and just to uh, for our listeners that might not have come across this card, I certainly hadn't, because these treasures and ships Love the idea, by the way, of having rare cycles of artifacts in the different houses. It makes things so fun. It makes things really fun and it makes diving into a set really fun. But this one in particular is a rare artifact. It's got an amber pip and it says play. Put four amber on Ruins of Arcanus from the Common Supply Archiver card. After a player plays their sixth card in a turn, if Ruins of Arcanus is ready, move each amber from Ruins of Arcanus to that player's pool. Yeah, and uh, the I love cycles like this because you're you're constantly
2: and it's weird to me that they didn't complete the cycle through the rest of the houses, right? Um, but uh, the ships, for instance, the the whole cycle is within all of the houses. You see one, and you're like, "Oh, I wonder what the X one does. I want to know what the unfathomable yeah. one does. I want to yeah. know what the untamed one does," and you, you want to go seek them out. Um, so uh, it's the same thing with like the leaders, right? You saw somebody like Zinzik, and you're like, "Oh, I wonder what the Untamed one does." And and you'll and it's one of those, It becomes like a it's it's a nice like collector's thing too. Um, and I spend a lot of time talking about like the actual gameplay and decisions you make. Um, but uh, secretly, I, I am a collector at heart. Um, like I want to have like um, you know a deck that has every, you know once once I have all of these decks, I've got every card right so um you know having having goals to go get outside of the game itself is
1: always fun definitely and it brings more structure i think to a set as well because you kind of get to benchmark where the different houses are and it's probably easier from a design perspective to do a bit of balancing on some of that stuff if you've got a good number of sets of different cards uh, within that set that kind of do similar things between the different houses so nathan what is your next card all right so my next card is actually the most key forged
2: card that we have on the list um and that is whirlpool it's an unfathomable artifact it gives you an amber pip when you play it and it says at the end of each player's turn that player gives control of the creature on their right flank to the opponent and moves it to that player's left flank um, so in practical play, what happens is the creature that is on your right hand just moves across the table and becomes your opponent's card. Um, and if you have not played with or against this card, you end up playing a completely different game um, than whatever you've played before. And uh, it's it's uh, it becomes one of the most cerebral cards um, in Keyforge once it's on the table in a good way. Um, it's more Kixelstone than it is Heart of Forest, right? It doesn't stop the game; um, it changes the tempo of the game, and it makes you make decisions that you wouldn't make normally. Um, so, I think that's pretty good. And unlike Heart of the Forest, it doesn't get the game to the point where it will could possibly never end. Um, and um, a lot like Kixelstone, you you start considering every creature that you put onto the table is this creature worth it and i mean it, do i want to give my opponent this creature um it gets really interesting if your deck has sarian in it um back to like medicus Lacus discussion from earlier you can end up with obscene amounts of uh, amber captured Crassosaurus was printed in this set uh is a creature that when you play it it captures 10 amber from both players um there has been more than one battle reports of people playing Whirlpool and their opponent playing Krazosaurus, and then giving them the Krazosaurus, um, giving their opponent the Krazosaurus, and then killing it and taking all that amber back. Um, so yeah, the the card is wacky. Um, it makes you consider so many things, um, and uh, just generally really interesting and fun to play with.
0: Yeah, I do have to note here that when uh, I was talking with our, our Patreon subscribers uh, on Discord about this episode, the immediate response from multiple people, including uh, Duke and RD3, was, if Whirlpool is not on this episode, we are going to riot. So <laughs> I was very thankful uh, for the, the the peace and harmony of our Discord uh, that this card was on Nathan's list initially. <laughs>
2: Yeah, it. I don't think. I don't think you can make a, a list of any kind of card about of any if of any cards whatsoever from this list and not include Whirlpool on it in some way or another. Um, just because it's such an interesting card to play.
1: The art is even yeah. very key with a throwback there to the wild wormhole, but being the wild whirlpool, which is <laughs> very very cool. Actually, this looks rather like what I was thrown into when I was attacked. Oh. oh goodness! Oh. Yeah, oh, my gosh! You think I'll
0: still have to do the full debrief from that? You might
1: know who did it then. <laughs> 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 I don't know; it's unfathomable to me. Zach, what's your next card? And your last card? Uh, my next,
0: my yes, my my next and final card is a shadows creature. It was one of the first spoilers from FFG: a creature four power, elf thief, elusive. Yes, it is the one, the only. The, I don't know why the heck they named it this
1: Hard Simpson. There must be an in-joke. Uh, there must be. There must be an I, in-joke for this. I
0: think I think it's I think it's a cow tools sort of thing, where it's just so weird and absurd that our minds just want it to have meaning, you know? Um and I just I just don't I just don't know what is going on. The ability is after Hard Simpson is dealt damage, steal one amber. If the tide is low, your opponent steals one amber. Instead, Hart Simpson must survive this damage. So when it was revealed uh, by FFG, everybody, myself included, went, what the heck? <laughs> this is the liability of liabilities. Yeah. Uh, the Prince of Princes and everyone derided it like it was it was a board. really
2: strange choice for the for like one of the earliest spoilers for the set right
0: a lot of yeah a lot of us were actually quite discouraged that they picked this because they're like why would they give us this trash they
1: were trolling <laughs> us to excite us about they, a set? they were trolling <laughs> us <laughs> so it, it, it it feels
2: so because we- i saw this card and i was like immediately i was like i'm really worried about the set like right it, why why was this card chosen
0: which, which is a very fair response. I think that was I mean that was across like everyone's reaction from the competitive people to the the podcasters. It was like everybody was like that. But then I started to see Hard Simpson in use because you've got control of the tide on your turn, right? Whether it's high or low, you, you make you make sure it's it's high. And there's a whole lot of ping damage in shadows some old stuff like uh seeker needle some newer stuff uh like um uh oh walk the planks a bit too powerful but there's a, a lot of ping damage in the set where like you Kur'wollop can ping as uh, uh, a yeah you. is
2: the common one
0: yeah where you can get damage on a hard simpson either like one or two and your opponent's only going to steal one back making you even if they can uh, take the tide and then just ping damage Hard Simpson instead of killing him all the way. And I have seen people get out ahead, even if the uh, the opponent gets one steal in, right? Uh, people just get out ahead uh, with Hard Simpson, with Seeker Needle, Ker Wallop, fighting into, uh, gosh, even something with uh, friggin' Hazardous, right? Like, right. there's just so many creative ways to use this card that. You'll, all, you'll have a plan A for how to use Hard Simpson, but there's plans B through M that depend on what's across the board from you. And it's just the silliest thing. Also, if you want to break your brain, uh, just think about what happens with Hard Simpson and Mulfin.
2: Um, yeah, uh, yeah. He he get, he steals until he dies. Right? Is that yeah yeah? yeah.
0: <laughs> okay. Mulfin Mol, says after Amber is stolen from you, deal one damage to each of uh, your opponent's creatures.
2: <laughs> <it's> so good
0: <laughs> for each Amber stolen. <laughs> yeah, that
1: yeah. is yeah. a cool so interaction. He,
2: he, Hard Simpson is a card that plays a lot better than it initially read. Um, oh I, yes. I agree because you can you can almost always engineer the situation where Hard Simpson will not uh, survive damage done by your opponent and so you don't have to worry about them stealing um right. yeah so it, it ends up being it ends up playing way better than it looks
0: mm-hmm. agreed which is also a very key forge thing yes. Uh, yes, on top yeah. of his silly combo potential oh definitely definitely
1: it, not a card that i've had the uh opportunity of playing yet but definitely a card that i saw and thought Oh, crikey, what is this set going to look like (laughs) at the time? And it's a common. Uh, But yeah, pleasant surprise. Pleasant surprise. So, Nathan, your final card is here. All right. So this is actually a little
2: bit of a cheat because it's a three-part card. Oh, cool. Um, And it's uh, 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 Chenille, Bombix, and Fafalde, which is the butterfly combo in Untamed. Uh, one of the cards that i've been the most disappointed in was igon the green and igon the terrible from worlds mm. collide mm-hmm. and um, it's just if you've ever played with those i think that's part of the reason why worlds collide brobnar is so uh, maligned to the general public is because you finally get like a sweet brobnar you know like like set to to to, to play with and it sucks it's just Mm -hmm. bad it's just not it like it doesn't it doesn't feel like it does the thing you want to do um this set kind of like uh flips the script a little bit because um the extra pieces if you draw them earlier in the game before you're before you have like the combo assembled you can still play them and get an amber from them and um and uh, the aforementioned Trojan Sariopod is actually a funny way to cheat in these um, creatures because they don't they don't uh, have the play effect um, when they're put into play from your hand by like an effect oh, like Trojan right. Um So um, you can you can engineer like a like an actual trap with uh, with the Saripod, um with these cards. Um, yeah. So, and I'll, I'll go over the cards real quick just so that everybody knows what I'm talking about. So, cheneal <clears throat> is a one power hazardous six creature that says, Action, return Bombix from your discard pile to your hand. And Bombix is a two power six armor creature with one Amber Pip that says, Play, destroy a friendly Chenille. If you do not, destroy Bombix. Um, action, return Fafalde from your discard pile to your hand. Um, and then finally Fafalde is a nine power creature that gives you an Amber on play that says play, destroy friendly bombics. If you do not destroy Fafalde and, uh, it's got fight, reap, fully heal Fafalde and gain one Amber. Um, so it's, it's feels like a Khalifi dragon when it's all working and, um, untamed actually has quite a few ways at common. Um, and then a f- couple other ways at like rare to, uh, uh put creatures back into your hand. So it's a little bit easier to get to the Fafalde than it initially appears, right? Because like playing a one power creature and then like having to use that to bring back like a, like a two power creature just doesn't, it doesn't, they, when you're describing it to someone, they're like, this is, this is never going to work. Um, but because of the Amber on it, it doesn't have to work for, it to, for you to get value from it. Um, this is another one of those really fun goals to get the Fafalde actually onto the table that you can you can strive for. And once it's on the table, it feels like it really can, uh, you know, it it does a pretty good job of taking over the game because it can just kill a creature, heal back a fool, um, and it's gaining you amber. So you don't feel like you're losing out on having to fight creatures on the table.
1: Can I just say, this is the first time I've seen this. And these are some of the cards that I am the most excited to play in Keyforge that I have ever (laughs) seen in my life. (laughs) Wow. This evolution thing in Keyforge is so cool. And you're so right. Igor I or Igor, or whatever his name was, the terrible, was indeed terrible and really disappointing because the idea was so cool of taking some of that, yeah, taking some of the magic of other games that have done that and put it into Keyforge, uh, probably a place where it's much more naturally adept. Yeah, it, it, Keyforge would deal with that kind of thing much better because of the conditional rarity stuff. So it's really cool to see it done well. And I want to play this now. And in every deck,
2: <laughs> yeah, they're really fun. Uh, they they are rare, so um, you it's it like the chances of you specifically seeing it aren't necessarily high. But I want to say we have like three or so decks that had them in it, um, sure. and we've been very pleasantly surprised by them. They're not like game breaking, but they're fun, and that's what this list was supposed to be, right? Like, a, like yeah, actual sure. fun cards to play. So there's, there's quite a few. I was gonna say there's quite a few other combos uh, in this set. There's the Hings and Gross. Um, there's Orpheon and Orpheol, um, and then there's, like, the Groundbreaking Discovery um, set as well. So there's a lot of these other sets that exist in this set. Um, the the Fafalde one is the one that I've had the most fun with personally, though, so far.
1: Yeah, FFG, why didn't you give us those Discovery cards for uh, <laughs> for announcement? It was right there, it was right Yeah, there. yeah,
2: compared to Neil, oh. Bombix, and Fafalde, too, like, uh, hard Simpson and ask which one players would rather play. Right,
0: right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Indeed, definitely, indeed, uh, definitely. Yeah.
1: So Nathan, thank you so much for for coming on. Honestly, your key forge knowledge and wisdom is absolute gold, and we are all but. uh creatures of the crucible to your uh archon like <laughs> state of knowledge in i've got the, the art to back that up now thanks to the community I,
0: that's true that's very true
2: uh, i do i do want to give a big thanks to everybody who uh provided that art uh if you've seen it on my my twitter avatar and stuff like that but yeah
0: uh, by balance sheet
2: yeah yeah, yeah. I, I, uh your name was on that list uh right zach the, the people that uh help uh donate towards that so uh that I, was yeah my, yeah my
0: wife megan as well
2: yeah, uh, so big, big thanks to you. Big thanks to everybody who chipped into it. I think uh, Mortivus was the one who spearheaded it. But uh, I do want to publicly, we, we, we gushed over it on stream. But, um, you know, if, if you uh, donated to that and you weren't like a regular stream watcher, um, you know, I do want to you know, say thank you again for that
1: here. Thank you again, Nathan. It is always a pleasure to invite you here on Call of Discovery. So, Nathan, where can our listeners find you? Uh, yep, so that
2: is going to be on twitch.tv slash Tabletop Royale. Uh, uh, Zach mentioned it earlier, but we stream on Sundays, Mondays, and Wednesdays, uh, 7.30 Eastern. Um, and uh, I am in Discord, of course, and uh, also on Twitter. So, um, and uh, that's just my name, Nathan Starwald. I believe, 1 at uh twitter um so yeah, hit me with a follow there um
1: and it's uh great t- great to be here Gr- glad to talk shop with you guys again great to have you on and have a chat with you about this game i feel like i learn something every time we have you on in fact i do learn something every time we have you on many things in fact archons if you are enjoying call of discovery please subscribe on your regular podcast app of choice if you're new to keyforge please visit the new player guide on archon arcana it really is a treasure trove of keyforge information and you can get your you and you can get started there on your, your own unique journey into this wonderful game if you are looking to support us in a monetary fashion, please do visit our Patreon link below where you can sign up to support us on a monthly basis and enjoy rewards like our exclusive Discord where we get many of the topics and questions for the show. Let us also know what you'd like to see here more of or less of in future shows by interacting with us on social media or you can send us an email at podcast.callofdiscovery.com at Dot com. But most importantly, if you think a friend would enjoy this podcast, please do help them to discover it. Have you answered the call of discovery?